What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow us on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, on Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com. And with that being said, let's get to the content. Alright, what's up everyone? I hope we're doing alright in the quarantine. Today we are projecting the NFC South. I'm basically going to go over my projections, statistical projections, that's yards, touchdowns, completions, attempts, all that stuff for every single fantasy relevant player in the NFC South. Alright, but before we get into that, I just want to explain exactly how I go through my projections. A lot of people do projections differently. I feel like if I give you an understanding of how I do my projections, it will let you be more confident in my projections and you'll be more likely to want to follow suit with my rankings. So basically, when I do my projections, the first thing I always do for a team is project the quarterback. The quarterback is the one that distributes the ball to all the receivers and the running backs, of course, in the receiving game. So how can you project a wide receiver stats if you haven't yet projected the quarterback? You don't know if it would make sense in the long run if you're giving DeAndre Hopkins 1,500 yards and then you only got Kyler Murray getting 3,500. He's not going to have almost half of the yardage of from Kyler Murray. So I always go with the quarterback first and then off of the quarterback, once I have their completion percentage established, their yards per completion established, their attempts established, and their touchdown rate established. It basically pumps out, because I use Excel, I basically put in the percentages and it pumps out the ranking for me. Because what I do is, instead of projecting yardage for a quarterback, which some other people will do, they'll just look at trends and patterns and, you know, oh, if the offensive line got better, if he added more weapons, he's probably gonna have more yardage this year. Well, I don't do it by yardage. I do it much more meticulously and I go into okay, how many attempts is he going to have? And based off the attempts, that's where everything will come from. So I do my attempts, I do my percentage, uh, completion percentage, so let's say 64%, and then Excel will say, okay, 64% multiplied by whatever attempts that I had, that gives me his completions. When I put in my yards per reception, after I do all my research there and you know see, okay, is their yards per reception going to be higher because they have more deep threats? Um, how's that going to affect their completion percentage though? If their completion percentage is high, their yards per reception are probably going to be a little bit lower. And basically I do all that stuff. Once I do the yards per reception, it multiplies that by the completions. That's how I get my yardage. Then I do the touchdown rate it multiplies that by the attempts. That's how I get my touchdowns. So I'm not actually projecting yards, touchdowns, and um, what's the other one? Yards, touchdowns, and completions for the quarterbacks. I'm basically just doing attempts, and then I'm doing all the rates, the touchdown rate, the completion rate, the yards per reception. So it makes me feel much more confident because I'm not just trying to guess a number. I'm using you know math, that's always been my strongest suit, and I look at the patterns, trends, what should cause the completion percentage to go up or down, whatnot. That's how I work with my quarterbacks. And then based off that, for receivers, I go by target share. So I'll project a 25% target share for a receiver, and then I take that based off of the stat line that I already have projected for the quarterback. So it all comes from the quarterback. And then, of course, it also affects the running game. So if I have a whole bunch of attempts projected for a quarterback, let's say it's somebody on a team with a bad defense, and they should be throwing the ball a lot trying to play catch-up, if I have a high attempt number for the quarterback, 
that's going to affect how many rushing attempts I have for the running backs. If I have a lower attempt amount for the quarterback, then it's going to be higher for the running backs. So everything that I do works together simultaneously and somewhat seamlessly. Um, a lot of times, if you look at people's rankings or their projections, they don't really mesh with each other. It doesn't really make sense. But when I do my rankings and projections, everything comes out of the quarterback, and I'll do all of the fantasy-relevant players, and then I'll have an other category. And that other category has to make sense. If there's 70 completions remaining um, in the other category after I give all the other completions to main guys on the team, then or um, targets then the completions have to be less than that, and they have to be somewhat close to the original completion percentage I gave the quarterback. Same with the yards and the touchdown. So if that doesn't make sense, I always scratch it and I restart. Usually, it always makes sense because I've gotten really good at this. This is my third year doing it. So with all that said, let's get into it. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. First, let's talk about Brady because the Buccaneers are probably one of the most difficult and most polarizing teams to project for fantasy right now because we want to know how much of that production was because Jameis just lets it rip and how is that going to change because Brady's not that type of quarterback. So I'll start with the fact that Brady has such a plethora of weapons and this should lead to a resurgence in Brady's overall completion percentage, touchdown rate, and yards per completion. Because like I said, I always start from the quarterback. So first, I project Brady. When I project Brady, um, and other people do, they a lot of them are worried about last year's low stats. Because last year, he had 60.8 completion percentage, a 3.9% touchdown rate, which is not great. And um, that's a lot less than his career average. His career average is 64%, so that's a 3% drop last year, and a 5.4% touchdown rate. And that's a that's a big difference um, from 5.4 to 3.9. So a lot of people are worried and they think it's because of his age. But let me give my counter-argument to that. I don't think it's because of his age. I think it's because of the weapons or the lack of weapons that he had last year. Okay, so in 2013, he's in the prime of his career. He's not old, but he's still... You know, he's already got some rings. He's in the prime of his career. He had a 60.5% completion percentage in 2013. That's worse than he had last year, 60.8. And 2012 and 2014, he was just right around his uh, his career average. So what happened there? Well, he didn't really have any weapons except for Edelman. He had Edelman and that was it. Not only was the completion percentage low, but his touchdown rate was also super low. It was only 4%. Remember, last year he had 3.9. So he had almost an exactly identical career, uh, year in 2013 that he did last year. And what's the common theme? His only weapon is Julian Edelman. In 2013, it was Edelman and nothing. Last year, it was old Julian Edelman, not even in his prime anymore, and nobody else. Nikhil Harry was out for half the season and as a rookie receiver who didn't really develop yet. Mohamed Sanu is a guy and he was traded for mid-season. And then Josh Gordon didn't really play. Antonio Brown didn't work out. So really all he had the whole time was Julian Edelman. So I think that's a big reason that he had the low completion percentage and a low touchdown rate. So when I'm projecting him, I think especially because of the weapons that he has now, he will at minimum be at his career averages, probably even better. He's got two Pro Bowl wide receivers, 
Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, an eventual Hall of Fame tight end and Gronkowski, even if he's not as good as he once was, a first-round pick, O.J. Howard, at tight end, and you even have Cameron Bray as your third tight end, and I'm sure most of us remember how good he was when he was a main guy, and they just picked up Tyler Johnson. So this is, in my opinion, the best wide receiver or receiving core and team that Brady has ever had. And I think this is going to lead to an a massive jump from last year in his completion percentage, touchdown rate, yards per uh, completion as well. So, last thing with Brady, the improved Bucks defense and efficiency on offense. That's the key thing. Brady is efficient. Because he's efficient, I don't think he's going to have to throw the ball as much as uh, Jameis did last year. Because Jameis, while he was great in terms of producing fantasy numbers and... Uh, stats and all that he wasn't very efficient and he also turned the ball over a lot and it caused him to always have to throw more and more and more him throwing led to him throwing more because he would put himself in a hole put the bucks in a hole and have to catch up so Tom Brady is more meticulous he's got the mental side of the game down better than anyone we've ever seen and he's extremely efficient so I think that combined with the very good or what I expect to be very good Bucks defense. They were number one in rushing last year and the last six games, even though they didn't have crazy tough opponents, their secondary came on and most of their secondaries were, uh, secondary players were rookies or second year players. All those guys are improving under Todd Bowles. We brought back everyone uh, from Indomitian Sue to Shaq Barrett. And that Bucks defense should be just where they were at last year to, to continue on their streak. And so I think that is going to cause Brady to not throw as much as we would want in fantasy, but he's still going to be madly efficient, and I still think he's going to be pretty good in fantasy. He's just not going to be throwing the ball 600-something times per game. Last year, Jameis threw 626 balls, and Brady even, with the Patriots last year, threw 613. So both of them threw more than 600 pa- uh, 610 passes last year. At around 39-40 per game, I think the Bucks are only going to have to throw the ball about 35 times per game because of the things that I mentioned before. So, And we'll also be playing with more leads. And when you have the lead, you run the ball out more often. So that is Brady for you. And now you understand where I'm going to be pulling everything from for the receivers. But let's get into Ronald Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn. So as a Bucks fan, I have realized that Ronald Jones is a lot better than people think. I've watched every single one of his games, of course, obviously, and I just don't understand what all the hate is. I think that if the Bucks didn't believe in Ronald Jones, they would have used that second round pick to grab Cam Akers because they were reportedly really high on Cam Akers. They really liked him, but instead they grabbed Antoine Winfield, the safety. So if they didn't believe in Rojo, why would they not grab a guy that they were really high on, was there for them still in the second round, and instead pass on him and settle for Vaughn in the third. Vaughn is not much of a receiver, and he's not a better runner than Rojo, from what I've seen, and in my opinion. Ronald Jones will get more carries on the year, and you can quote me on that. He really will. I have posted a about minute-long video. I didn't want to do something too long. I wanted people to actually watch it, that I posted on Twitter and Instagram of Ronald Jones running, and he is much better than everyone thinks. I think everyone's stuck in the mindset that after his rookie season, where he only had 20 carries for 40 yards, so about two per clip, um, I think that everyone just 
automatically from there when everyone was saying that he sucks everyone's stuck in that mindset and that was way overblown in the first place um and it caused people to completely miss what he did last year so let me tell you ronald jones last year averaged a 77.5 percent catch rate so he caught 77 percent of his targets he averaged 10 yards per reception and he had averaged 4.2 yards per carry and that was all behind a, a bad bucks o-line last year that will be much improved this year with the addition of Haig um, from the Colts offensive line and Tristan Wirfs in the draft. The other running backs last year, to put it in perspective, remember Rojo averaged 4.2. The other running backs combined for an average of 2.9 yards per carry. Rojo had 10 yards per reception. The other running backs, 7.9 yards per reception. 77.5 catch rate for Rojo last year, 72.8 catch rate for all the running backs um, outside of Rojo. So he ran very well. He was the best receiving running back on the team. Um, and he was the most elusive. And he's also the fastest and can break uh, the big runs off. And you can see that in the video if you want to go to my Instagram or Twitter, Deep Dive FF, Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and watch it. Additionally, Tom Brady, a better offensive line, and added weapons with Gronk and Tyler Johnson that they didn't have last year are going to pose such a threat in the passing game that Rojo will probably never see eight defenders in the box, and he's going to have a very easy time running. It's going to be easy to have open lanes because the defense is not going to be focused on stopping the run more than they are stopping Brady and all of our weapons. The Bucks believe in Rojo, and at this pace, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, draft him. He will be a steal in the draft. I'm pretty sure his ADP right now, if I'm not mistaken, is around the 8th round, 7th or 8th. And a lot of people are taking Keyshawn Vaughn in front of Rojo. That's a that's going to be a mistake. And maybe things will change in preseason. And of course, I am going to be fluid with my rankings, fluid with my projections. If anything happens in preseason, things that are changing people's minds that change my mind, of course, I'm going to go with it and change my projections. But as of right now, I don't see any way that Keyshawn Vaughn gets more carries than Rojo. And I think Rojo is going to be the guy used in the receiving game, um, unless the Bucks somehow pick somebody up off the street. But I don't see that happening either. So we've gone through Brady and we've gone through the running game. So now we're going to get to the receivers and tight ends. Mike Evans, he has potential to be amazing, but it will be relying on touchdowns. And you need to remember this. This is why Godwin is my number one in this offense for fantasy. He's going to get more targets and he's going to run the slot often. And he's much more efficient than Mike Evans. So he's going to catch a higher percentage of his targets. And he's getting more targets. And Chris Godwin's not going to be relying on touchdowns for fantasy production. Now, I'm not saying Evans is going to be reliant solely on touchdowns for fantasy production. I still have him breaking 1,000 yards, having a good amount of receptions. But with all of the weapons that we have, knowing that Godwin is probably going to be Brady's go-to guy, and he's going to be the one that moves the chains and gets peppered with targets. Evans is going to need those touchdowns to get where you want him to be, which is the wide receiver one territory. Evans could blow up if he gets a bulk of these red zone targets. Um, Randy Moss, when he was with Brady, now I'm not comparing Moss and Evans, of course. Randy Moss is one of a kind. But Randy Moss had more than 20 touchdowns with Brady in his best in their best year together and he was getting all of the red zone targets he was just the touchdown monster he had i think almost 50 percent of brady's touchdowns evans could do that or at least get close to that it's not out of the realm of possibility that evans gets a touchdown per game 
and ends with 16 and could be this year's fantasy wide receiver one. But the thing is, he can also get eight. And if he gets eight touchdowns instead of 16 touchdowns, he might not even be a top 12 receiver. So it's a risk reward that you're taking. But I think if he's being drafted at the back of the wide receiver one range, like around wide receiver eight or later, I think it's a good risk to take, especially if you feel solid in your ability to find um, solid PPR receivers, guys from last year like a McLaurin or a Chark or a Boyd, guys like that that you can depend upon. And I usually feel that way with wide receivers. I think I'm pretty good at finding wide receivers late and getting them off waivers um, throughout the season. So I don't mind taking big swings like this on a guy like Mike Evans. Now we get to Gronk. Gronk is pretty polarizing. A lot of people love him. A lot of people are massively fading him right now. Rob Gronkowski might finish as a top 12 tight end, but you will not want to own him. That's my take. He will finish as a top 12, but we all know that's not very hard. And he's going to be frustrating, and I don't think you're going to want to own him. Because think about it this way. The Bucks are likely going to use him sparingly because they want to keep him healthy. And the Bucks, I mean, they think they're making the playoffs. I think they're making the playoffs. Pretty sure everyone thinks the Bucks are going to make the playoffs with everything that they've done this year. And if that's the mindset, you want Gronk to be healthy and you want him to make it to the playoffs with Brady. And Brady probably wants that too. Gronk wants that too. So I'm assuming that the Bucks are not going to just roll Gronk out on every play. And I doubt he's going to just dominate the amount of snaps on the field for the tight end position like he did in New England. So I think the Bucks are going to use him in like a 60-40 split with him and OJ Howard. And of course, Bray will make the field at times too. But between them two, I think Gronk's going to just have a little over half until we get to the playoffs. So he will be touchdown dependent, and he's probably only going to get five to seven on the year. So obviously, whenever a tight end gets a touchdown in fantasy, they're pretty good that week because tight end is a tough position to stream or to play just in general. So Gronk will be have his decent, uh, decent games, but he's going to have games where he kills you, and he only has 30 yards and no touchdown, maybe like three receptions, and then you're hurting. So I wouldn't even touch Gronk um, in terms of drafting him in regular leagues. Maybe in daily fantasy leagues, I would take a shot on him every once in a while, but he's not somebody I would want to own. So with all that said, I'm going to give you my projections. I'm going to just round everything, make it simple. I'm not going to be too specific. Um, If you want to see all of the specific things that I have, you can always go to my ultimate draft sheets. You can get to them through the website. There's a big black button. Uh, that says ultimate draft sheets. If you click it, it'll take you to the link to my Google Drive, uh, Google Sheets, which looks just like Excel. And uh, you can download it. You can save it. You can adjust it yourself. I already have the equations and all the boxes for you. So if you want to change how much you think somebody's going to throw the ball, it'll change all the rest for you. And then you'll be like, oh, I'm actually really high on this guy or oh, I'm really low on this guy. So not only is my rankings there for you and you could use mine to the T, But if you don't agree with me on something that I did and you want to adjust it, I have it all set out for you. So you could just type in a couple numbers and you have perfect projections uh, exactly how you want them. So feel free to do that. Now let's get into it. So Tom Brady, I have him projected for 21.3 points per game. I have him going for 4,800 passing yards and 36 touchdowns. So a little bit more than Jameis in the touchdown category. I think he's going to sustain drives longer and he's going to just be more efficient and then a little bit less yardage because I don't think he's going to have to throw as much but I do think he will actually be somewhat and this is where some people will disagree with me um, I do think he's going to be somewhat close to Jameis in terms of yards per completion 
because I think that he has weapons now that he's never had. So I don't really think that the only reason Jameis had a yards per completion was because he let it rip. I think a lot, a big reason was because of the weapons as well. So I see Brady being pretty close to that. Then we got Chris Godwin. I have him at 17.3 points per game for 95 receptions, 1,300 yards, 8 touchdowns. Mike Evans for 15.2 points per game, 70 receptions, 1,100 yards, and 10 touchdowns. So I gave Godwin 8 touchdowns and Evans 10 out of Brady's 36. Then I have um, I have 10 touchdowns going to the tight ends between Gronk and OJ. Um, but before I get to the, the tight ends, real quick, Ronald Jones, I have him for 13.4 points per game right now. But I kind of think that outside of my touchdowns, because I have him at 11, that's kind of his floor. He could he could do more. I don't really see him getting much worse than 13.4 points per game. Um, and if you don't haven't listened to me before and you don't really understand why I'm talking points per game, I think that's the best way to look at things because you're only... Um, you're only being impacted by somebody's fantasy performance when they're in your lineup. So that's why I always go by points per game. Like, especially when I'm looking at stats from last year, I'm not going to talk about a receiver that missed three games and say, oh, he had this many points on the season. I'm going to talk about what he did when you were putting him in your lineup, which is from a game-to-game basis. And it just evens the playing field and it looks past injury and all that stuff. So I think Ronald Jones is going to rush for around 1,000, a little bit under, a little bit over. Uh, yards and then about 200 receiving yards with 25 receptions so that's a pretty modest projection like that's not out of this world yet that puts him way higher than anyone else has him um so and I have him for 11 touchdowns eight eight or nine in the running game two or three in the receiving game and then with Gronk and OJ Gronk I only have him for 10.7 points per game 55 receptions 800 yards six touchdowns and OJ Howard I have at eight so like I said, 60-40, it actually worked out pretty much like that in terms of the fantasy point split too. O.J. Howard at 8 points per game with 40 receptions to Gronk's 55, 600 yards to Gronk's 800, and 4 touchdowns to Gronk's 6. And then I have my other category that includes, I actually projected Tyler Johnson uh, out specifically just because I wanted to see what I have him going for, but it's not big enough to be really fantasy relevant. Um, but I do have it in there in my rankings and stuff. Um but then outside of Tyler Johnson, the other category had guys like Kim Brace, Scotty Miller, Justin Watson, the other running back that the Bucks drafted in the sixth or seventh round. But that's the Bucks for you. And so now we're going to go into the Saints, but I do just want to say, yes, my bad. That was super long for the Buccaneers. We're going to start picking up the pace now. It was just longer for the Bucks because they added Tom Brady and Gronkowski and a running back in the third round. And there's just a lot of question marks. And I also wanted to give you guys the insight, a, a little peek behind the curtain of how I do my rankings. Um, but so now we'll just get into the Saints and we will start with the team as a whole. Fairly easy to project. The Saints are pretty consistent from year to year in most categories that I run through. Um, and it's just because they have Drew Brees, Sean Payton, and they're reliable. And they've kept together most of their offense. They've always had a good O-line for the past couple years actually like three or four years now, and they've always had Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, and they've had a good second running back, etc. So they've always been pretty good. Um, the hardest thing to predict for the Saints, and pretty much the only thing that I think people struggle with, including myself, is where to put the touchdowns. Um, sometimes Breeze has his up years in touchdowns, and then sometimes it's 
a lot more touchdowns to the running backs. So I tend to go a little bit down the middle in terms of touchdowns because touchdowns are the most dangerous thing to predict. And if you're relying on touchdowns too much in your rankings, then you, you could end up easily drafting a bunch of people that bust. That's actually part of the reason I have my risk rating next to every one of my players. Um, because if they have high touchdowns and there's a chance that that doesn't happen, then they're somebody with that holds high risk. Um, and then a lot of times if I don't think somebody's going to get a lot of touchdowns, but the potential is there, like a Mike Evans, their risk is low because of where I've projected them and they actually have high potential. That's another category that I have for every player's potential. So let's get into it. Drew Brees, he's been fairly consistent over the last three or four years in his completion percentage, always above 70%. And his yards per completion, usually pretty low, partially because of how efficient and meticulous he is with the football. And he always hits the open person, open guy, and a lot of times it's a lot shorter routes. His arm has been diminishing. So they've been, you know, playing it a little bit shorter and just dinking and dunking down the field. He was on pace for 39 touchdowns last year. So this year I have him for 35 um, just because his touchdown rate was a bit high for his career average. Um, and I have him throwing a, about the same amount of pass attempts this year as what he was on pace for last year. Obviously, he missed games. Um, but yeah, last year, his touchdown rate was 7.1%. That means that 7.1% of his touch uh, passes went for a touchdown. I think that's going to go back down to his career average, go down a little lower. That's why I only have him at 35 touchdowns this year. Michael Thomas is still a target beast, and I don't think that Emmanuel Sanders' um, signing is going to impact him too much. He's still probably going to be my wide receiver one. I've finished the NFC South, obviously, and right now he's my wide receiver one in the NFC South, which has a whole bunch of big hitters from DJ Moore to Julio Jones, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. So Mike, Michael Thomas is my number one out of all of them. I really don't see anyone pushing him for that spot in my rankings. Um, I guess we'll see what happens when I get to Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. I could see both of those guys getting close, um, but I don't really see anybody surpassing Thomas, even with the addition of Sanders. He's my highest rated, he's my highest rated wide receiver. Then we have Emmanuel Sanders. He actually should be a decent flex play week to week, and I, he's probably going to be a back-end wide receiver three once I finish my rankings. Like I said, I've only done the NFC South. I'm doing the podcast. As soon as I finish each division, while everything is still super fresh in my mind, so I guess can give you guys the best um, analysis and just the most um, accurate information. I mean, it's, it would still be the same accuracy, but it's just easier for me to talk about off the uh, off the dome if I do it immediately. So, my, he's probably going to be a back-end wide receiver three because of where I have him projected right now, and that's usually where that uh, total points, fantasy points, will end on a given season. Um, and he's a super reliable receiver, and he's always been a sure-handed guy. Now he gets the ultra-accurate breeze, so I think that he's going to have a higher catch percentage than usual in his career. Um, so that will help him out, even though he's not going to be getting as much targets as you might want. Then we have Alvin Kamara. So last year he was a big disappointment for people, but that was mainly just because he was lacking the touchdowns. Him and Leonard Fournette, anytime you have running backs that have good yardage, good involvement in the offense, and the touchdowns don't come, they're usually a pretty good value the next year. I think Kamara and Fournette are going to be two of those guys this year. Kamara is going to get double-digit touchdowns. I don't see how he doesn't. Um, obviously, I would not have pictured it not happening last year, but that's why it's an outlier. 
And so I think he's going to return to double-digit touchdowns for sure. I have him for 13, um, but I think he definitely gets 10 because of his usage in the passing game, not just the running game. Um, he's had 81 receptions the last three years. So he's only been in the league for three years. Every year he's had exactly 81 receptions. So I'm not going to just project him for 81 receptions. That would be kind of, it would defeat the purpose of everything that I do. Um, but I have him for 85 just because of how I have my target shares coming out and everything. But he's a super consistent guy. Um, so yeah, like I said, I expect a huge touchdown regression for him in the positive uh, way. And then his yards per carry should also see a slight bump this year because last year he wasn't fully healthy. And also when you get um, better players on your offense, whether it's the O-line or wide receivers or whatnot, and you increase threats that the defense has to worry about, it's easier to run the ball. So they added Emmanuel Sanders in the passing game, so they can't focus on Kamara as much. And they also added Cesar Ruiz, or Cesar Ruiz, not sure how to say it, um, the center in the first round of this draft. So... I think their O-line is going to be a tiny bit better. Not too much better because it was already pretty good. And then Sanders will just help open up the offense a little bit. So that, in addition with his full health, hopefully this coming year, his yards per carry should go back up above five yards per um, per clip. Then we have Latavius Murray. I still think he, just like last year, is going to be a good running back to own as your like RB4, RB5. He has top five potential if AK goes down. So he's not a bad late-round pick at all. Jared Cook is probably the one who gets the most hurt by Emmanuel Sanders being added. He is probably not somebody who's going to be reliable in fantasy. It's not, once again, just like Gronk, he's not somebody that I necessarily want to be looking at. This division, the NFC South, is rich with fantasy players from running back to receiver to quarterback. Tight end is probably the one position in the NFC South that I don't think is that great from Gronk to OJ to like we just talked about Jared Cook and then even Ian Thomas see when we get to Hayden Hurst that might be a different story um, because he has mad potential and the shoes that he's filling from Hooper leaving but just to continue on the Saints I'm going to get to my projections so for Drew Brees I have him going for 4,400 yards and 35 touchdowns remember last year he was on pace for 39 Um, that puts him at 20.2 points per game then Michael Thomas, I have for 21.5 points per game. I have him going for 130 receptions. He set the record last year, so I don't think he's going to get close to that again, especially with the addition of some people. 1,500 yards and 10 touchdowns. And once again, that's 21.5 points per game. Then I have Sanders at 12.1. I think he's going to go for about 75 receptions, 800 yards, and 6 touchdowns. So I think between those two receivers, they're going to have a bulk of Breeze yardage. Um, And then once you consider Alvin Kamara, that's going to be most of Drew Brees' offense, uh, most of Drew Brees' yards, because we got 1,500 and 800 between Sanders and Thomas. And then for Kamara, I have him getting 700 um, receiving receiving yards. So that's 1,500 between Sanders and Kamara, and then another 1,500 Michael Thomas. That's 3,000 between the three of them. Um, And that's usually how it is between Thomas and Kamara. I'm just adding Sanders in there now and taking a little bit from all parties from the Saints offense to supplement to Sanders. So Kamara, I have him at 20.9 points per game. 1,000 rushing yards, just barely. 85 receptions, like I said, 700 receiving yards and 13 touchdowns. Then Latavius Murray have at 10.5 points per game. But remember, he has massive upside if Alvin Kamara goes down. And actually... 
The thing is, with Alvin Kamara and Latavius healthy, Kamara has to seed touches to to Latavius Murray. But if Alvin Kamara goes down and Latavius Murray's the only really talented running back left in that offense, he actually has some potential to do better than Kamara does when Kamara's healthy because he doesn't have a really good back behind him like Kamara does with Latavius behind him. But right now I have him at 10.5 points per game, 700 rushing yards, 30 uh, 30 receptions, 200 receiving yards, and 8 touchdowns. And then finally, to wrap up the Saints, Jared Cook, I have him for 8.7 points per game with 40 receptions for 600 yards and 7 touchdowns. Alright, so now we're going to hop into the Falcons. Matt Ryan is a very interesting quarterback. I actually uploaded and made a graph Well, I did it on a whiteboard, but I uploaded this graph on Twitter of Matt Ryan over the past five years. Over the past five years, his completion percentage has jumped up and down, up and down, up and down. So he started with a low completion percentage five years ago with the first uh, year under, oh my goodness, Kyle Shanahan. And then the next year was his MVP year. He saw a huge peak in completion percentage, and in touchdowns. Then the next year, so also touchdown rate. Then the next year, he got a new offensive coordinator, Kyle Shanahan, left. And he dropped all the way back down. This was with Sarkeesian. And he had a horrible completion percentage compared to what he had the year before. Same with touchdowns. And was bottom of the barrel quarterback. He was like outside the top 12. Then the next year, second year with Sarkeesian, boom, he's a top five quarterback. A lot of touchdowns, high completion percentage. Then last year, first year with Cutter, boom, goes back down, outside the top 12 quarterbacks, bad completion percentage compared to the year before, low touchdowns. So technically, if you follow the pattern, this is the second year under Cutter, and every time he's in his second year with offensive coordinator, he has a really big year, high in yardage, high in touchdowns and completion percentage that was the other thing too yardage that I didn't mention um his yardage also went up and down with completion percentage and touchdowns so this is supposed to be an up year so I'm not going to completely project like buy into the pattern a hundred percent and if you guys want to you can but that takes away your ceiling so in your projection so I'm not going to do that and instead I'm going to be a little bit timid I'm going to be like 85 percent of what he would be if he follows this trend So, he has good yardage in my projection, and he has huge potential. Depending on the draft price, he's probably somebody I will end up with often, um, but that is only if he's being drafted at around the 10-11 spot, um, which he probably will be because last year, he wasn't, it was one of his down years, so people are going to be down on him. Now, all the NFC South offenses got way better, so that's also something going in Matty Ice's favor. He's going to have to throw a lot to keep up, so I have him passing for more than 600 times, just like he did last year. So what does this mean for Julio Jones? Let's be real. Julio Jones is what he always is, and he will continue to be that. He's going to have great amount of receptions, great yardage, but he's going to disappoint in the touchdown column. What has it been, um, four or five years now since he hasn't gotten double-digit touchdowns, or has he not gotten one ever? Actually, I'm going to look that up, but I'll keep talking as I keep looking that up. So Calvin Ridley, on the other hand, is somebody that has been getting touchdowns, and he's gotten more than Julio Jones. So when you're talking about Calvin Ridley, 
I think he's going to be a big beneficiary of this upward projected uh, trend that I have for Matt Ryan this year because of his second year in the offensive system. And Ridley's going to benefit from that. Last year, he missed three games, but he had 93 or 94 targets in the 13 games he played. He was on pace for 115 targets. And with Mohamed Sanu leaving, now gone completely, not just for half the season, and Austin Hooper gone, Calvin Ridley is likely to get an even bigger target share. So I think Calvin Ridley is going to make a huge year three jump. And if Matt Ryan goes off like the graph predicts he will, Calvin Ridley could could be a wide receiver one. Yes, I'm I'm not saying I'm calling for it. I'm not calling for it, but I'm just saying I would not be surprised if we have Julio and Calvin both being in the top uh, 12 receivers, especially in PPR. And I did look up to Julio Jones. Yeah, he hasn't had more than eight touchdowns in seven years. Um, he only had one double-digit touchdown season. That was his sophomore year when he had 10. So yeah, he's definitely going to disappoint you in the touchdown call, and there's no point in projecting him for double-digit touchdowns if he hasn't done it in so long. So now moving on from Calvin Ridley, we have Russell Gage. So Russell Gage is actually a very interesting last pick of your fantasy draft if you want to just throw a dart um, at the dartboard and hope you hit the middle because he was involved a lot when Sanu left. He could be a good waiver pickup to slide into lineups for whether you have injury or bye weeks that you need to fill, kind of like Mohamed Sanu was. So I really do think that Russell Gage can be just as productive as Sanu was, and he looked pretty good when he was on the field last year. So, And I think um, Hooper leaving, although they did get Hayden Hurst, I don't think Hayden Hurst is going to get the exact same target share. I think it's going to be a little bit less because he's a new face for Matt Ryan, and usually you go with the people, the familiar faces. So I think that he's not going to target Hayden Hurst just as much as he targeted Hooper. So a little bit of those targets you could take from Hayden Hurst and distribute them to Ridley and Gage. I don't see Julio getting any more than he already does because he gets a monstrous amount of targets. Then we have Todd Gurley. They signed him to a one-year deal, so they don't have any future investment in him. And not only that, but you can see the GM and the head coach are both in positions right now where they don't feel safe. They don't have that job security because of how bad they started last year. They did pick it up a little bit to help themselves out, but they've underperformed from what has been expected of the Falcons the past couple of years, and they might be worried about their, their job security. So they're not worried about right now um, Todd Gurley for them in the future. They're worried about what's going to help them win now, and they didn't draft a running back at all. They didn't draft a running back at all. And we all thought they were going to go for a running back in the second round, third round, at least fourth round, and they didn't. So they're all in on Gurley, and they're going to give him a big workload because I do believe that Gurley is still a good running back um, despite his knee issues. I think he's going to be really good. He'll As long as he stays healthy, he should do well for fantasy in this offense. Locked in RB2 with RB1 potential. Um, and the one thing that is against Gurley, though, in this situation is Atlanta running backs haven't gotten much touchdowns the last year or so, and so they are lower in that area than what he was getting in um, L.A. They tend to throw the ball more than they do run the ball, and that's also something you see with Cutter because when Cutter was with Tampa Bay, our running backs never really had much touchdowns to their name, but the receiving game had all the touchdowns. 
and they were all coming from Jameis. So you can expect the same type of trend with Cutter in Atlanta. So I wouldn't expect Gurley to get too many touchdowns like he was with LA, but he should have good yardage and he should should get good receptions too because Atlanta does throw to their running backs and he's not a bad receiving back. Then you have Hayden Hurst. He's got potential to be really good because he's replacing Austin Hooper, who was really good. They did also give him give high equity or spend high equity to acquire Hayden Hurst. They gave up their second rounder in this year's draft, which is about the middle of the draft, for Hayden Hurst. For me, that was a steep price to pay. He's a 26, 27-year-old tight end. Yeah, he's a f- former first-round pick, but he's coming from a team that has him and Mark Andrews. So they don't have... It's not like they are giving away like a stud. You should have been able to get him for less. I'm surprised that they spent a second for him. I'm surprised the Ravens did a great job getting a second for him. But Hurst is, in terms of like, once again, in terms of the future, I don't think that that was the best move, getting him for a second, because he's old and he hasn't really produced that much. And he just came into the league. So he's like, he was one of the oldest rookies ever drafted when he was drafted. He was like 25. Um, but I do think for this year and a couple of years from now, if he if he turns out well for the Falcons, he'll be a pretty good tight end. Um, but he's not much higher than the other tight ends in this division for me. This is the only position in this division that I'm not touching is the tight ends. So now I will get into my projections. For Matt Ryan, I have him at 20.4 points per game, going for 4,800 yards, 29 touchdowns. I don't really see him getting much more than 4,800 yards. The most he can get is probably 5,000. But there's a lot of room for a ceiling because of my touchdown projections for him. Because it's 29. The thing is, I only put 29 because when he's gone back and forth, like I said on this chart or on this graph, he's gone from like 22. I don't have it pulled up in front of me right now. But it was about 22 to 39 to 20 to 35. So he's always he's never gotten that middle ground. Um, except I think one at one point he had like 26 out of the five years. And then the others have been so, so far apart. So I kind of just projected the middle of the touchdowns, but gave him the high upside in the yardage. So if he gets to the 35, 36 touchdowns opposed to 29, that's even more potential for Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, Hayden Hurst, Russell Gage, all those guys. So that's something that you should keep in mind is that these uh, Falcons receivers do have a decent ceiling ahead of them compared to other players, because Matt Ryan could go off. Then Julio Jones, I have 18.3 points per game. I have him 100 receptions, 1,400 yards, 8 touchdowns. Like I said, they're not the exact projections I have. The exact projections are, you know, down to the yard and to the reception. I'm just rounding for your sake. But then I have Calvin Ridley, 16.2 points per game, 84 uh, receptions, 1,100 yards, 10 touchdowns. Russell Gage, 9.1, like I said, just... He you could slide him into your flex if you need him for a bye week or whatnot. 65 reception, 600 yards, three touchdowns. And then Hayden Hurst in this division, he's my second highest tight end right behind Gronk. And that's just because of the uh, touchdowns. Hayden Hurst and Gronk has a lot of potential. Hayden Hurst, 10.2 points per game for 65 reception, 700 yards, five touchdowns. And then lastly, we have Todd Gurley. I have him as a, right now, I assume just by looking by his points per game, he'll probably be like RB14. Um, I have him at 15 points per game for 1,000 rushing yards, 50 receptions, 300 receiving yards, and 10 total touchdowns. 
And now lastly, we have the Panthers. I'm pretty excited for this one because apparently it's a hot take, what I have for Teddy Bridgewater. So I have him throwing for 265 yards a game. I'll just throw that out there right now. And apparently some some people think that's like atrocious. So let me explain to you why we uh, to start why it's not, right? Teddy Bridgewater has only played, people forget this because he's been in the league for so long. He's only played two seasons and six games in the NFL. He played two seasons in Minnesota, then he's got then he got hurt. And he was hurt and backing up for a long time until he got his opportunity yes uh not yesterday, last season with the Saints, where he played six games. So he's only played two seasons and six games. So you guys not you guys listening, but the people that I was going back and forth with on Twitter, they were talking about, you know, he's just not a good quarterback. I don't understand why people say this. His career yards per game is 170. So let me tell you why that stuff, in my opinion, we all have different opinions, but in my opinion, doesn't matter. So those two seasons in Minnesota, that team, that team identity, it was run first, and they had no weapons for Teddy Bridgewater. It was a very hard offense for anyone to put up any type of yardage, touchdowns, anything in. He had a healthy Adrian Peterson in one of those two years with no help outside of Adrian Peterson, no good receivers. And the other year, AP got either hurt or uh, suspended um, because of the incident. He was either hurt or suspended, and that offense was barren with nothing. The only thing on there was Diggs, and that was when Diggs was first starting his career. So Diggs was good still, but he's not the same Diggs that we see now. So his two seasons... That his two full seasons, the only seasons he's played in the NFL was with Adrian Peterson and nobody, and then Stephon Diggs and nobody. And it was on a team with a great defense and a run-first mentality. Last year, with the Saints, he averaged 230 yards per game, and he only played six games. So you might say, oh, that's a small sample size, but we don't really have anything else to work with. And while he averaged 230 yards per game with the Saints, you also have to remember that he was... He had been with the Saints not for that long, and he had just gotten into that offense, and that was his first snaps. So usually, you know, even when you see you see it with rookies coming into the league or whatnot, whenever you have a quarterback that's with a new team, their first few games aren't what you can expect for them from the rest of the season. So if you take out the first three games, the first half of what Teddy Bridgewater did, and just look at the latter three games, he was averaging 278 yards per game, which is a lot. And he had eight touchdowns in those three games, so almost three per game. So he has actually been really good, um, a lot better than people think. And while he doesn't have a big arm and he doesn't make spectacular plays, he's a very um, accurate quarterback for intermediate and short parts of the field. And he makes smart decisions, keeps drives alive, doesn't turn the ball over. He's walking into Carolina where they threw the ball nearly 40 times per game. That was among the league lead wasn't number one, but it was pretty high up there. 40 times per game, and they had Kyle Allen. I think we can all agree Teddy Bridgewater is better than Kyle Allen is. And while I don't still think that they're going to throw 40 times per game because they added a lot of pieces to their defense in the draft, which, by the way, I'm pretty upset about as a Bucks fan. They had a great draft. Um, and then they also are just going to have a, a more efficient offense, and they're probably not going to be playing behind as much. I still don't think they're going to be that great. They're probably the worst team in the division this year. Uh, maybe the Falcons will be, but there's a chance that they're the worst team in this division. Um, so I don't think that they're necessarily going to have a great winning record, but I still think that they're going to be a good team. And I think rules off to a pretty good start. 
Um, so I have him throwing about 30, I believe 37, 36 times a game. Um, I can tell you actually, if you give me one second, I have him for, let's see, Teddy Bridgewater, 584 attempts. So yeah, that's just under about 38, I think. 584 divided by 16 is 36 and a half. So yeah, I have him throwing for 36 and a half times per game. I think that's super reasonable considering how much they threw the ball last year. And yeah, their defense will be better, but all the offenses in this division also got better. There's a chance that he ha does have to throw 40 times per game, but I'm not going to project that. And he also has great weapons. So like, I, like we talked about, in Minnesota, he didn't have any weapons pretty much those two years. Then last year, he finally had some weapons, and guess what? He looked good. He put up yardage. He did do some damage on the touchdown board. And that was with Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Jared Cook, and that's pretty much it. That's still a good squad, but it's not as well-rounded, in my opinion, as what he's walking into now. Because Christian McCaffrey is better than Alvin Kamara. And DJ Moore, while he's not nearly as good as Michael Thomas, the combination of DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Robbie Anderson as the three receivers is way better than Michael Thomas and the other two receivers that he was throwing to in New Orleans. And then Ian Thomas is probably not too far from Jared Cook. So I do think that he's walking into an even better situation, especially that's a situation that's tailored to him because Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore are both very good in intermediate, short, routes and they are able to make people miss and are good with run after the catch so i think it's a good situation for him and i actually think that they're gonna have a decent offense next year so now moving to dj Moore, not too much to talk about here i do think he could see a bigger target share with teddy um who likes like i said the intermediate short routes and plays it safer than um he was with than he was getting with kyle allen he's also going to see an increased catch rate DJ Moore is because Teddy Bridgewater is definitely more accurate accurate than Kyle Allen is and so you're also going to see an improvement in that category so even if DJ Moore gets less targets which I'm not projecting I do think he will get more targets but even if he got less he's going to catch more balls and then you have positive touchdown regression for DJ Moore because he didn't get much touchdowns last year Curtis Samuel had almost double him so I don't think that that's going to happen again. I think that's going to even out. DJ Moore will probably even have more than Curtis Samuel. So now going to Curtis Samuel, due to Teddy Bridgewater's tendencies, he might be slightly better than Robbie Anderson in fantasy. And while it seems like most people agree with me on that point, initially, before I started projections, I didn't think I was going to have it come out that way. But after all the research that I put in and everything that I looked at, it seems to me that Curtis Samuel is much more likely to be a factor in the offense than Robbie Anderson is. Um, it's really not a good landing spot for Robbie Anderson, to be honest. He's, I don't know if he'll get frustrated, but if you have Robbie Anderson, you'll get frustrated because he, uh, he helps the offense a lot more than he does help himself. Um, he basically opens up the offense for them and is going to make it easier for DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel to get open. He's going to provide a deep shot every once in a while for Teddy Bridgewater, but he's not going to take those deep shots as often as most other quarterbacks would. And the person I think really the Robbie Anderson acquisition helps the most is Christian McCaffrey. So this is what's crazy to me. Christian McCaffrey was putting up record numbers last year. It wasn't as good as the Ladanian Tom Tomlinson season, but it was pretty close. And somehow, Christian McCaffrey is supposed to be worse this year. I'm not saying I don't think he's going to be worse. I mean, he has to be worse. There's no way 
he's going to put back-to-back seasons like this with 30 points per game. That's insane. But it's kind of crazy if you look at the team situation because we have to project because of regression. We have to project Christian McCaffrey to be worse this year. We have to. Like, as anybody that's a fantasy analyst, if they're projecting Christian McCaffrey to to do what he did last year, that's to me, that's insane. Like, props to you for having the guts to do it and doing that a hot take. But as your projections, like your actual projections to go that far out on a limb, it's pretty... Oh, man. I just Even just talking about it, it's, it's a lot to me. Christian McCaffrey, um, he's a beast. And I don't, I don't understand how we're supposed to work this out because there's no way he puts 30 points per game up. But every single thing that I looked at tells me McCaffrey is going to be better than last year. Now, I don't have that projected um, mainly because of my gut. but And sometimes you have to go with your gut. I'm mainly a numbers guy. Um, sometimes somebody that I'll talk to, like my number two um, for deep dive, um, he hasn't been on a podcast in a while, but I'm going to start getting him back on soon. And he's more of a gut guy and I'm more of a numbers guy, but I do trust my gut when it's screaming at me. And so there's no way that he scores that much. But think about it like this. Christian McCaffrey was on a team last year where, yes, DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel were there, but that was pretty much the only threats on offense. Greg Olson, when he was on the field and healthy, he's not the same Greg Olson. And Kyle Allen is not a good quarterback. So that's not a good situation for Christian McCaffrey. And they didn't have a great O-line. It was probably average. Now you have Robbie Anderson to open up the top and you have a way, way more accurate quarterback who's going to keep your offense on the field way longer and sustain drives and give you more touchdown opportunities. So he should have a better chance at scoring touchdowns than last year, which is insane. He should have a higher yards per carry than last year, which somehow he had 4.8 yards per carry on that offense last year when everyone knew he was the entire offense and they still couldn't stop him. He's definitely going to be above five yards per clip this year, unless he gets hurt or something like that. And lastly, they didn't spend any equity on running back. The only other thing that you could look at, if he's not going to be worse per touch, which I'm not projecting, if he's not going to be worse on touchdowns, which I am projecting because it was insane, but there is a chance if they want to use him as much as they did last year, um, in the red zone that he scores just as many touchdowns because there will be more opportunities. They'll be in the red zone more often. Um, and then, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought, but yeah, so he has, if you're not projecting a decrease in yards per carry or touchdowns, that's what I was saying. Um, then the only other way that you can expect a decrease is workload, but the, uh, Panthers didn't even put in much equity in running back this offseason in the draft or in free agency. So he is the clear running back. He's getting everything from on that team. Because if they were planning, if Matt Rule was planning on keeping um, McCaffrey like fresh and not giving him as big of a workload, he would have spent some equity on a running back. Or at least got one in uh, free agency, like a decent running back. And they didn't. So he's a clear RB1 in fantasy football, and it's not even close. Like I told you, anyone that's willing to project him at what he did last year, I think is crazy, but I'm pretty close to crazy because like I just told you, everything that I look at points to him being better this year, except for touchdowns. That's the only thing. And he'll probably get, I have him around the same receptions as last year too. So I have him at 26.7 points per game, 
Christian McCaffrey, and like I said, he had 29.3 last year. I was rounding to 30. So I do project him to be worse, but I mean, Alvin Kamara is, granted, I've only done the NFC South, but Alvin Kamara I have projected at 20.9. So unless Barkley, I mean, the only people that can get close to that projection for McCaffrey that I haven't um, evaluated yet for fantasy purposes is going to be Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, or Dalvin Cook. And honestly, I don't see any of them getting more than 22 or 23. So for me, there's a clear tier drop, and that's Christian McCaffrey, and that's it. Christian McCaffrey is the clear RB1, and I'm probably going to write an article about it now because, I mean, it's just insane, um, and I'm happy for him. I mean, I loved him coming in, coming out of college a lot more than anyone else did. Nobody thought that he could be... I mean, a, a few people did. I'm not going to act like I was the only one. But most people didn't think he was going to be able to be an inside-the-tackles type of running back, that he was just going to be a scat back. I didn't understand that because he was never hurt. He was always healthy. He was very strong, not as big as he is now. He's gotten huge. But he was very strong and productive inside the tackle. So I didn't really understand what all that was. Um, but, yeah, Christian McCaffrey's a beast. And then lastly, we have Ian Thomas. So Ian Thomas, just like the other tight ends in this division – Really, it's just like a meh. I, I'm not interested in getting any of the tight ends in this division except for possibly Hayden Hurst. Um, and like I said, Gronk, because uh, he has the huge potential. But Gronk is probably going to be drafted way higher than I like. So Hayden Hurst is probably going to be the only one in rounds like maybe 8, 8 plus that I would have any interest in. Um, but yeah, so Ian Thomas I'm not really interested in. And so I'll just go into the projections real quick for you. So I have, and this is in four-point passing touchdowns, everything that I've been talking about. Um, I have Teddy Bridgewater for 18.1 points per game with 4,200 passing yards, 26 touchdowns. DJ Moore, 16.9 points per game, 100 receptions, 1,200 yards, 7 touchdowns. So even if somebody has a problem with thinking that DJ Moore can get 100 receptions, which I really do think that is going to happen this year, or at least very close to it, I only have him for 7 touchdowns, so you could take... 20 of those receptions off and give him 10 touchdowns it's going to be the same projection in terms of total points then we have curtis samuel 9.5 points per game 55 receptions 600 yards five touchdowns robbie anderson 8.1 with 40 receptions 600 yards four touchdowns and then so see pretty similar to curtis samuel just one touchdown less and uh some receptions less then Ian Thomas, 7.7 points per game. Like I said, not somebody I'm touching at all. 50 receptions, 500 yards, 4 touchdowns. And then here's my Christian McCaffrey projection that gets him to 26.7 points per game. It's 1,200, I'll give you the exact, 1,270 rushing yards, 134 targets, 113 receptions, 915 receiving yards, and 16 total touchdowns. So... That is three touchdowns less than last year. So you could take, you know, three more touchdowns off if you want. And you want if you only want to give Christian McCaffrey 13. But there's no way that he gets less than double digits. And I would be surprised if he gets less than 12. I would probably bet money on it if I was one to bet. I'm not. But other than fantasy football, of course. Um, but, yeah, I have him for 16 touchdowns. And then for 3,300 3, combined yards total almost 3,400, and that's what he had last year, or 2,400, sorry, and that's what he had last year. He had 2,400 yards last year. I have him projected for the same this year. Like I said, they're going to be on the field more often. Their offense, they're going to be able to sustain drives. So I have a hard time 
thinking that anybody beats out Christian McCaffrey if anything happens except for um except for injury of course so that's my projections for the NFC South that's it for this podcast um but I do want to mention one thing real quick so for those that do look at my draft sheets my ultimate draft sheets which I really do um I really would like you guys to look at them I mean I don't get anything out of it I just put a lot of hard work and time into it and I think you guys would find a lot of use for it whether you want to just go by my rankings and my projections or if you want to change it yourself like I said I have all the equations built in but basically the draft sheets they have a 2019 stat column and it has all of their stats for every player from 2019 and directly next to it is my projections for 2020 so you could even literally just slide the uh the excel sheet from side to side and you can see last year compared to this year you can see it by points per game that i project increase you can see it just by yards receptions and you can also order anything in whatever way you want you could order it by touchdown see who i have projected for the most from top to bottom you know whatnot but the one thing i do want to mention is and this is very important i have calvin i can't believe this because i'm a bucks fan but i have calvin ridley projected right above mike evans but that does not mean, and I'm telling you that this is re- reality, reality for me, I will not draft Ridley over Mike Evans. I haven't projected over Mike Evans, but we said both of them have touch, uh, touchdown ceilings, and they both have ceilings in general because of Matt Ryan possibly throwing the ball more than uh, 29 touchdowns, which is what I projected him for, and so Ridley could end up with more than 10 touchdowns, but... Mike Evans has a way bigger ceiling, way bigger ceiling. So that's why I have my risk and potential columns next to points per game. So I order it by points per game because that's what my projections, uh, how they rank and order the players. But when I'm actually drafting from my sheet, I won't deviate too far from my the order that's laid out by points per game. But I will always look at potential and risk. And right now, Mike Evans' potential is A+. Plus. And that's better than um, Calvin Ridley's, which is a B plus. Um, and I I basically do that off the top of my head, but it's generally pretty sound because Ridley's not the number one in his offense. Mike Evans could be. Mike Evans is has a much better chance of getting 16 touchdowns than Calvin Ridley does. Mike Evans is just a better receiver than Calvin Ridley. So, of course, his potential is going to be a lot more. And when I have them projected so close to each other, I will always take Mike Evans over Calvin Ridley. But I do think Calvin Ridley is going to be a sick wide receiver too this year based off this. So keep that in mind when you're, whenever you're drafting, not just if you're using my stuff, but don't always just go by points because there are different factors that come into it. Also, when I do projections... I'm doing a 16-game season, but we all know that there are guys that have higher risk because of past injury. So you don't just necessarily take that the guy who's injured all the time because he's projected half a point more per game or, you know, eight points more on the season than the guy right below him. I would take the guy below because much less chance that he gets injured and hurts you. So there are a lot of things to think about in fantasy. So don't just go straight by what you see in a list or rankings. Always, you know, put extra thought into it. But... That's it for this podcast. It's the NFC South rankings and projections. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Have a good one.